Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Good morning, beautiful people. This is Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown, on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. Uh, we are going to spend most of the hour um, hearing from Joko Hashima Jinsai about a new campaign, um, the Institutional Restitution Campaign, as our people inside and their allies out here on the other side of the wall continue to do what we can to uh, get our people free. We have elders, again, inside uh, who have been um, modern-day enslaved for decades. Many of them, Hashima included, have uh, spent decades in solitary confinement, the torture of solitary confinement. Mind you, the UN Human Rights Council, it's the United Nations uh, Council on Human Rights, excuse me, has deemed uh, solitary confinement after 14 days torture. We have people, our loved ones, family members, community members, 
fathers, sons, uncles, grandfathers at this point, uh, subjected to decades of solitary confinement. There are hunger strikers, our historic California hunger strikers. They are part of the Ashker v. Brown class action lawsuit that took place in order to end indefinite solitary confinement. It is time for them to come home. They are also political prisoners. They are also the creators of many of them, the creators of the new African revolutionary nationalists, uh, creators of Black August. These are California heroes, political prisoners, prisoners of war um, that was taking place here um, in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, a war on black people. So um, we are going to be hearing again, like I said, we are going to be hearing from, from them. Possibly uh, we will be hearing also from um, hunger strikers, current hunger strikers, uh, um, that are um, doing a hunger strike in Ohio, Toledo, Ohio Correctional Facility. So we are starting off the new year um, with a continued quest for the release of our political prisoners and again, those who are modern day enslaved inside of our prisons throughout the United States, but particularly here in California. All right, so um, please stay with us. We need your support. We need your solidarity. We need your awareness to these issues that continue to take place and plague our communities and assault our humanity. Here we go. Please excuse the sound interference in the beginning. It took us a minute to figure that out. This is Joka Hashima Jinsai talking about the Institutional Restitution Campaign. love to do, Ishima, um, since I do have you, I would love for you to give like a little bit of an historical timeline about um, uh, the criminalization of, of new Africans, because of course that has, that's, that's historical and systemic uh, uh, criminalization, starting of course from the moment that we were stolen from Africa and what they needed to do to implement that. But I would love to hear it from you and I would love to, let's use this as a bit of a promotion uh, for for this petition and for um, well for the campaign actually not just the petition but for the campaign to introduce yourself and I love that yeah. historical timeline to get us where we are so people have some context. Okay. Um, my name is Joker Shin Jasai. I'm a uh, American political prisoner. I've been in prison for twenty eight years. Uh, it'll be twenty nine years in a matter of days. Africans in the United States of America have been criminalized long before we hit these shores. Criminalization of our people harkens back to the shores of Africa in 1619, 
this off the slave ship. Um, what I mean by criminalization, I mean our humanity was criminalized by us being reduced to property. That process, uh, you know, it's a still slave system as an unbroken line to what we know today is mass incarceration. Uh, following the war between the agrarian capitalists and the industrial capitalists that you all know as the Civil War, you had something called the fake mass space proclamation. Uh, what happened was you had a sitting president free all the slaves that were in the southern states, uh, effectively uh, ending the what they believed to be shadow slavery. This was a lie. Didn't end slavery. And in fact, in the northern states, they still held slaves. Following Reconstruction, you had a new body of law introduced called Jim Crow Bartok, or the Black Code. These, these, these Jim Crow laws effectively criminalized New Africans' existence in the states where it held sway. Uh, simply standing around, they called these veterans laws, using certain words that were common uh, language to be considered uh, vulgarity violations. And any number of thousands of ridiculous quote-unquote laws could find you in a penal institution where you were subject to the convict lease system, meaning they would lease you out to mines, uh, lumber concerns, grocery stores, to be worked to death in conditions which resemble something out of Dante's Inferno, where rape, beatings, like murder, lynching, mutilation, well, this ultimately led to what you know today as mass incarceration, as laws continue to expand prison industrial slave complex. Now understand something. In order for a specific population to be disproportionately targeted for imprisonment and understand criminal conviction is the gateway to legal slavery in America. 13th Amendment preconceive a clause within the very amendment to abolish slavery to maintain its existence under a new name. As you all know, 13th Amendment states that you need to be slavery nor involuntary servitude in the United States say you be duly convicted of crime. That means if you are convicted felon by U.S. law, you are enslaved. You are other than you're not a human, you're property, specifically property of the state. That criminalization of our humanity, that dehumanization of our personhood and our reduction to property allows all manner of, of course, dehumanizing behavior by the state and the society at large. Because you have to understand something, bigger slavery in America doesn't stop the prison gate collateral consequences of incarceration, collateral consequences of slavery in America extend to our communities where government housing is denied you if you are criminal. You have no right to be free from search and seizure if you are a felon. There are over 292 professional licenses in the state of California alone that you cannot get because you are a legal slave. This is a tip iceberg. But perhaps one of the most disturbing aspects of this is starting around the 1960s, where New Africans in concentration camps, specifically uh, in California, but across the country generally, um, we began to become conscious. Conscious not merely of oppression, but conscious of resistance to that oppression in an organized manner. That organized resistance had an ideology, had an origin, and that origin was thought. We were reading books. We were beginning to learn our history. We were beginning to understand that we weren't a second-class king. We, in fact, were the original.
original man. Where in fact were the architects of civilization. We in fact were those who created warfare, science, language, religion, spiritual systems. We were the ones that actually built the very foundations of human civilization. Yet we have somehow been reduced to this despised state of subhumanity. This, of course, led to what you all know it would be the logical response, resistance to someone seeking to humanize you. That resistance also had a military component. In the prison system, blacks were routinely brutalized, raped, and murdered. Men began to organize themselves, first organized themselves as black Muslims, and they began to resist. That resistance were viewed by the state as a threat. Now those who didn't, who weren't uh, receptive to Al-Islam, but still sought to resist, began to find expression in new African revolutionary nationalism. Or at the time it was it was known as nationalism, which was a single black unity. That being, that black unity began to adopt a cultural perspective on social life. One that cast away Western wars and adopted traditional African wars in both language, dress, and in thought. And that brought into being what you know as black nationalism. But that wasn't enough because our people seemed to be exploited on the system of capitalism. And that exploitation also had a military component. He was being lynched. I mean, in every possible way that that term can be applied to a people. You have to understand, at that time in history, lynch law was the law. It was something that was supported by the state. Oftentimes, lynches occurred right outside a judge's house with him and his family having a picnic right on their lawn. They'd watch all the best things. It was something that was presided over by sheriff's deputies, by the sheriff himself. This was the law. We began to resist it. That resistance and the consciousness that capitalism was deaf to our people caused us to adopt what traditionally developed in Africa as communalism, but evolved in this historical period into revolutionary scientific socialism. That evolved into a new ideology, new ideological uh, development, which was revolutionary black nationalism. Revolutionary black nationalism, of course, the thought began to link itself to the international struggle of New African people across the diaspora. When you hear the term New African, uh, you may have some, some people wonder, well, what, do we, what do you mean by New African? Well, when we were brought to be sure, we did not abandon our sovereignty. We were independent nations. We were eyeball. Minimatopic, Dogon, Wose. We had our own economic systems, spiritual systems, social systems, political systems. We were nations. You didn't give up that sovereignty simply because you had some people come over there with some guns, clappers and chains, put us on a ship, take us across the ocean. That sovereignty maintained. Yet when we were placed on these plantations, we were intentionally placed on these plantations with people from other nations. So you'd have an eyeball woman and a Rose male on the plantation. They couldn't really communicate with each other except in the oppressor's language, English, because they spoke different language. But that eyeball man and that Rose woman would have a baby, and that baby would be both eyeball and Rose. Then that baby would be shipped off to Jones Plantation, where they had Dogon and Minimatopic. And so a Dogon woman and a Minamatopin man would have a baby with both Dogon and Minamatopin. And then that little girl would eventually grow up to a woman, and that little boy would eventually grow up to a man. So now that they child becomes Ivo, Bose, Minamatopin, and Dogon. Eventually, you have a new African people that represented the entire concept of Africa itself, but developed under conditions of oppression in shadow slavery in the United States of America. That new African people 
Sunday. And they began to resist. They began to become conscious that these differentiations, these notions of, of Dominican blacks, or Cuban blacks, or Brazilian blacks, or American blacks, were characterizations that were placed upon us by the system of white supremacy and U.S. capitalism. Global capitalism. We began to understand that we are one people, one new African people. And we would no longer accept these false notions placed on our political, social, and cultural identity. That came to rise in the California prison system. That consciousness bred its logical conclusion, resistance. That resistance took the form of retaliation for military assaults against New African prisons. That retaliation led to the streets because these men and women were being released. And when they were being released, they were being released conscious, organized, structured. And they went out to the community and you got organizations like the Black Panther Corps. Black Liberation Army, Black Guerrilla Family. We had organizations that sought to resist oppression in an organized form and create a new African nation, a sovereign state for our people. One where we would be free of oppression. One where revolutionary scientific socialism would be the worldview. Well, they criminalized that. They considered the very thought of rapid revolutionary nationalism uh, uh, a game. It's how they undermined, it's how they criminalized, it's how they once again humanized our thought. Today, some call critical race theory that there's this big push on the right, the white supremacists, to criminalize black history. That's been going on in the California Department of Corrections since the 1980s. In the 1980s, they introduced a new concept called validation. It's where they could take specific points, like a book you read, or an essay you wrote, or a specific piece of artistic expression, like, say, you drew a picture of Malcolm X. That's a point toward being validated as a member of a specific prison gang. In this case, Black Real Family. They could utilize a validation to confine you to indeterminate solitary confinement forever. In fact, when you went to court or you went to committee, they told you you either parole, debrief, or die. It's the only way you ever get out. Now, mind you, it's only one group of brothers that were subjected to indefinite solitary confinement because of what they read or what they wrote or what they drew. And that was New Africans. No other people were done that way. No other group of prisoners were done that way. Only New Africans were done that way. And the reason why is because this is the only body of prisoners at that time to, to, to the present day whose motive force was not criminal. The motive force was political. The motive force was revolutionary. The motive force was seeking to transform the nature and structure of society where people could live free of death. Understand something. The economy of capitalism murdered millions daily through the annihilation of culture and collective identity, through economic exploitation and oppression to denial of our very base humanity. Think about this. 70% of all content on your television and in your movies is law and order content. Look how our people are portrayed on your TV screen. If you're not being portrayed as thugs, if you're not being portrayed as gangsters, you're being portrayed as rapists to murder. It's not by chance or happenstance. It's by design. 
that design has borne fruit in the zeitgeist of the society itself, where racism and white supremacy is institutional. This isn't something that you can't educate away hate. You have to change the nature and structure of the society itself. That means you have to change this institution. This institutions reproduce these ideologies. Racism is an ideology in this population. And a lot of times when New African people, when I say New African people, I mean black people or brown people or yellow people, when they hear the term racism, they automatically think of white supremacy. Racism and white supremacy are not synonymous. Racism is a tool of white supremacy. It's a tool that don't simply doesn't impact white people. You have New African people who hate themselves. You have New African people who respond to oppression by submitting to it. That's an irrational response. You have something called colonial psychosis. Colonial psychosis is abnormal behavior by colonial subjects. It is a manifestation of the psychological and social impact of racism over the course of centuries. Brown people exhibit the same colonial psychosis. Yellow people consider, exhibit the same colonial psychosis. People of color exhibit the same colonial psychosis because it's an impact of racism. It's the impact of institutional racism. This isn't, some, this isn't a set of ideas held by a group of people. This is an ideology that's reproduced in the institutions of the society itself. These institutions exist to defend that ideology and the social economic system, which is capital. Remember, racism has an ideology and origin itself. It came about through the criminal accumulation of capital. You had to dehumanize specific people as whites, as Europeans, spread across the planet, and they saw all these places that they exploit, they could exploit economically. But they also saw when they had sex, or appropriated with native people, children always came out looking like native people, not like them. So they faced cultural annihilation. They had to figure a way to preclude, to preclude that, to prevent that. So they built this system. It's been effective. And of course, um, you know, it's right from the beginning, one of the, the, the crimes was being educated um, exactly. The slaves could not be educated, and you could you could face death, uh, or, or some severe you know torture. Uh, to that me, has to, a, yeah. that 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 sanction against educating yourself, who you are, mm-hmm. your relationship to the productive system of the world around you has not changed. Right, it has only become more sophisticated. Exactly. Um, the you have a class of prisoners. It's a crime of 
thousand times worse than anything they ever could be uh, sought to criminalize us for. Like writing an essay. I've had pieces published in San Francisco Baby News because I got one fifteen for right now. A recent one? Nah, oh, okay. Just I just wanted to be be certain about that. Okay, but yeah, you yeah, still yeah because these are part of your your file that exactly. it, that they just keep uh, re, uh, repressing you with. Exactly. When you go to board, they review your C file and they tell you, okay, we're going to base our our decision on whether or not we are predicated upon what we see upon in front of. They consider that one fifteen. I wrote for an essay that I put in, uh, I was published in both San Francisco Baby newspaper and California Prison Focus concerning the criminal the criminal nature of the validation process. That's what I was criticizing. I was criticizing the fact that you are putting people in, and at that time, I had just been validated. I mean, like, a day before, a day after I wrote that essay, I was validated. I was already in the hole under investigation for validation. So I wrote the essay because it, it seems so absolutely absurd to me. It seems so unbelievable that uh, a, 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 a society could put you in solitary confinement forever because you read the philosophy of Kings and Marcus Mark, or George, George Jackson and Glenn Meyer, or drew a picture of George, Malcolm X, and, 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 and uh, uh, Marcus Mark. Man, it was three of the points they used against Right, and there, here you are, almost. Uh, you said you're going on 29 years of yes. being caged. Uh, this is just genocide. You also mentioned. I know we're going to be going back a little, but I do one thing that I, I hope people are hearing. I mean, it's not just you are being repressed and genocided directly, but like you said, this does extend to our communities because of all the people yeah. that you that have been denied your presence in the community. And that's also by design. This is this is part of, they know exactly what it is that they are doing. Um, because like you said, it's about annihilation. It, it's, it, it's about cultural annihilation. They do not want, that's, that's the, the line that the, the oppressor, the CDCR, the white supremacist, colonial settler, capitalist, imperialist, white pathological system, um, says to the public that you're a danger because you are non-compliant. You and refuse to be a slave. And that is what is dangerous to and, them. Take that step further. It is why it's particularly dangerous argument. Because the opposite is true. Mm-hmm. Take this out. The institutional restitution class is also a strategic release class. Right. The strategic release class is it's about, and I want you to understand something. It's only about 25, 30 of us left. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you why that is. It was once thousands of us. Over the course of the last 10, 20, 30, or yes, in some cases, 50 years of them holding us in solitary confinement, the population that was left on the main line, they used us even against that population. And what they did, they would hold you up almost similar to how Christ and, and and Roman prisoners were crucified. They were crucified for a reason. So they could be held up as examples to everybody else. This is what's going to happen if you, if you violate our dictates. Well, you held them in a very, very similar fashion. If you pick up a certain book, if you seek to express certain ideas, you too will find yourself in solitary confinement. Do you want to know what happened over the course of these years we've been back there? There has been a continuing abiding degradation in the ideological, political, and social development of black men in prison and in our communities. You can see it on a daily basis. Prison is a socially hostile microcosm of its outside production. If I want to know what's going on in the hood, all I got to do is go look at the yard. You have, check this out, this one of the very first experiences I had when I was relieved of Sizer in 2015. A brother came to my cell and asked me for a book. I said, yeah, man, you got over 100 books in here. He said, man, uh, I don't want no knowledge. 
you got an urban now. I, I don't want no knowledge, though. Don't, don't give me what I look for. I ain't trying to go to the shoot. That came out of his mouth. Wow. That idea, that fear of even learning about who you are, how you got to this point in your life, how our communities got to this point in our lives, that process. That process began, was continued, and does continue with how men like us were treated, how they treat the strategic police plan, how they treat the institutional restitution plan. It's why there's only 30 of them in the prison system of hundreds of thousands. Brothers don't want more than that. You know Yeah, but you have the exact same degradation in the political and ideological development of our people in our communities. It's why the consumer countercultures has such sway. It's why we out there in the face of unprecedented racist violence and state-sponsored terror against our communities, our response is, the gang bang murder each other, poison each other, don't. That's our response. That's irrational. That irrational response has a, has a origin that it just fall out the sky. I wouldn't like that. Remember, what they did to us with Operation MK Naomi and MK Ultra when they flooded our communities with cheap cocaine, was tried once before the 60s, with Operation Cloud Nine. And they flood our community cheap heroin. You want to know why it didn't work in the 60s? Because in our communities, you had black fat boy, black little fat, revolutionary action movement, black liberation army. You come in our community, that boy should get smashed. You had resistance to that. By the 80s, we was all in prison. You were driven underground or in the shoot. Mm. There was no resistance. Right. We are living that legacy right now. That legacy is in our communities right now. That right. trend is mm-hmm. only going to stop if there's a counterpoint. There has to be its opposite. That's just science. Right, and you guys are part of that counter. Because, yes, like you were talking about the strategic release, and we know that it's like, what did you say? It's 0.01% recidivism yes. rate at the age, at where you guys are after 25 yes. you know, years of being in prison. And that's another thing. So that's the other reason why they're not, they're not letting you out, because they know that you will be an asset, not only exactly. to yourselves and community, but to the people in the community as well. I understand so. Some of your listeners may not be aware of it. When we speak about strategic police plan, that's a class that has very specific criteria. You're talking about men who have a proven record of service in their community from behind the wall for 20 years or more. Those who are either 50 years or older or serve 20 years or more of continuous confinement. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, their recidivism rate is 0.015%. Now let's talk about the work product of this group of men. The George Jackson University, Operation Hip Hop Rescue, the Autonomous Infrastructure Mission, the, 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 the Sustainable Agricultural Community, Close Circuit Economic Initiative, the uh, 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 Marcus Barber Study Group, Economy in your community that 
why you try and give paper and put water on top This is a multi-billion dollar industry. The operating budget, CDCR, for fiscal year 2019-2020 was $12.9 billion with a B. That's more than many nations' gross domestic product. We big business for commodities. Now let's say for the sake of saying you introduce a new element into the community which seeks to transform the new African criminal mentality into a new African progressive mentality. But we seeking to actually stop gang violence, stop rapid drug addiction, stop rapid drug trafficking in our communities by transforming the very nature of those communities. Understand some people's attitudes are reflections of their conditions. If you change the conditions in the community, you say something like the autonomous infrastructure mission. Well, I don't have to go stand on the street corner to feed my family no more. Because we own the businesses in our community. The only people we hire people in our community ain't got no job. Guess what? We ain't gonna have the bodies that you can pull out of my community and stuff them in the prisons no more. Because we ain't gonna be entering the gate. The gate is crime. It's a criminal conviction. It's right there in the U.S. Constitution. It's the very basis of the 13th Amendment. Hmm. No, they don't want men like us out. No, they don't. Men like us threaten prison industrial slave complex, which is a foundational institution of the U.S. government. It is a foundational institution of U.S. society. It has branches and tendrils that extend into every area of people activity. Right, it's the thing that actually keeps our humanity, because that's the thing that we are losing. Would you, I would love for you to finish up here, uh, Hashima, uh, talking about uh, the Restitution Now campaign. i 
was confined on the Bureau of Justice Statistics, they have a recidivism rate of 0.015%. And if you're talking about this class of prisoners, all strategic release members, dudes who have dedicated their lives and have a proven record of doing so to the betterment of their communities and people, the society as a whole, their recidivism rate of zero. The only reason the person is denied parole and any scheme in the United States of America, according to their law, because you pose an unreasonable threat to safety and security institution, I mean, safety and security society itself. You're a threat to public safety. We're the opposite of that. We're an asset to public safety. If anybody, if you want to be, if you want to live in a safe, secure community, you want to live in a community where you have a member of teacher class living there with you. Because they're going to make sure that your children have an alternative to finding their food in the street. They will make sure that you have an apparatus in your community to ensure the ultimate educational, math, science, technological development of your people. They gonna give their life because they live their life. Who wouldn't want that person to fit that community? And we can't do it alone. The United States of America has one acuity, one point of weakness, one point of vulnerability that it will strike it will cause disproportionate damage, and that's public opinion. Every one of your voices raised in support of the institutional restitution campaign is a blow to the system of oppression. It is a chain link removed from these chains that hold us continually behind the wall and outside of our communities. You can bring us all home. And in so doing, transform the nature and structure of this entire society. I ain't saying we all that. I ain't saying we got all the answers. I'm telling you what, there ain't nobody on the face of this earth that's dedicated more to finding the witch and to giving their lives to make sure that they actually breed fruit in your community. That they build boots on the ground to make it happen. No one is more dedicated. Because this is our life. Our life is it's what we live. It's what's maintained our sanity throughout decades of torture. It's what? the only thing that can free us. And what are some of those ways, Hashima, that we can um, that we can do we have that? Two prongs to this campaign. is there's two restitution petition. This signals to the state that there's mass support for the institutional restitution campaign and mass opposition to the continued criminalization of our history and culture. The other is the call-in email campaign to Governor Gavin Newsom. That information will be provided to his phone number in the capital and his email address. Call it and demand institutional restitution and institutional restitution plan. Email them. Tell them how you are absolutely outraged and will not tolerate the criminalization of this class of prisoners or our history and culture. It's wrong. What they did to us is wrong. And you are just now in society just how long. Recent legislation has been introduced in 22 states to criminalize teaching black history in school. We've been experiencing it for decades. We're talking about someone seeking to criminalize your experience in this nation. Something is very central to the further evolution of humanity itself. And they want to tell you that it's wrong. Your history, your culture, your identity, your personhood. Hashima, I had an, uh, two more questions for you regarding that. Sure. 
So this past year, we are, now, of course, now in 2022, but in 2021 was the year of the political prisoner and also the year that the International Tribunal 2021 We Charge Genocide took place, 70 years later. Uh, would you consider uh, this institutional restitution class, the strategic release members, would you consider them a part of a group that is being genocided and also political prisoners? Hashima, thank you so much um, for talking to us and uh, giving us that historical to the present, um, you know, analysis of what it is that we are experiencing and make it very personal as well. I want to thank you for that. And uh, we will make sure that we get all of this information made available and do our part to, uh, to help each other. <laughs> in this uh, collective struggle to combat this genocide and get our people home. We love you. Love you all as well. Peace and power. Yes, peace and power. Please call the governor at 916-445-2841 and tell him to support the release of the institutional restitution class, the strategic release class, the um, the California hunger strikers. Uh, please, um, political prisoners here in California. 
To email the governor, go to govapps dot gov dot ca dot gov. You'll need to use the form there. And to sign the petition, Restitution Now, go to campaigns dot organize for that's f o r dot o r g slash petitions slash restitution dash now dash support dash the dash concept dash of dash institutional dash restitution dash today. I know it's long. I'm going to read it again. It's campaigns dot organize for dot org slash petitions slash and then the whole word or the whole phrase restitution now support the concept of institutional restitution today has a dash between each word. Do it. It doesn't take that long, even though it seems like it's a pain in the butt. Campaigns dot organize for that's f o r dot o r g slash petitions slash restitution dash now dash support dash the dash concept dash of dash institutional dash restitution dash today. Our people's lives are absolutely one hundred percent. Worth it. Please sign it. Encourage other people to sign it. We need to get our people home. As Hashima said, it's just simply not right.、Uh, we can't be living with genocide. We can't be living with、um, modern-day slavery on our watch. We really can't. And then call ourselves for human rights. So please call the governor. Please sign the petition. Tell your people this is incredibly important. I'd like to read some names. They will not be all of the names that need to be read. Many that we do not know. Dr. Joyce Powell, Sundiata Akoli, who's 84 years old at this point, he needs to come home. He was actually denied parole last year this time, January 2021. Dr. Mutulu Shakur, why is he still in prison? He's well into his 70s, also denied parole. Mutope Duguma, Abasi. Zaribu, Kijana, signers of the agreement to end hostilities, Setawa Nantampu Jamaa, Todd Ashker, Arturo Castellanos, Antonio Guillen, Danny Troxel, George Franco, Yanni Ronnie Yandel, James Baridi Williamson, Alfred Sandoval, Louis Powell, Alex Yagoren. Gabriel Huerta, Frank Clement, James Mario Perez, and then Raymond Chavo Perez, who died while he was in prison. Paul Red, who is now out, welcome home, brother. We're so glad you're here. Abdul Olubalu Shakur, and of course Joka Hishima Jinsai. And one last note: today I met some brothers who had spent time with. Our hunger strikers, our guys in Pelican Bay, who had suffered decades of solitary confinement, his brothers had been in for decades as well. They are now out and、um, being welcomed by and working with an organization called Urban Alchemy, who I just met today. So we welcome you all home as well. We need to get more of you home to serve the people, be with the people, be with your people. We will be hearing more about Urban Alchemy and some of the people、uh, that are working there. As well, so、uh, stay tuned for that.、Um, get ready for、uh, that is our show. All power to the people. Get ready for work week with Steve Seltzer.